we're on 30 something now. Not bad. Um, and we have a return guest. And this was really uh, Peter requested because you saw this film and you thought either I'm going to do some kind of podcast or talk on this or I will give it over to Estranged and we'll do the talk on Estranged. Correct? Correct. Although I'll pr- it'll probably be both. I'll probably do a talk on it as well at some point. So not either or. So this or. is a non-exclusive. Yes. Both hands. Okay. Both hands. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, how did it go uh, when you did the talk on on class? I think it was called um, "You You Don't Hate You Don't Hate Mondays, You Hate Dot Dot Dot." Oh yes. Um, and you talked about like uh, a, a class consciousness and all that. How did it go? How did what did people say? Oh yeah, that uh, seemed to go okay. I was kind of almost. Uh, as you could imagine, nervous about uh, talking about class consciousness um, because a lot of, you know, I, tr- I was interested in kind of looking at the connection between a lot of the explosions of violence that we see and asking whether they're inherently connected to a central antagonism within capitalism or not. But uh, yeah, I really enjoy doing it. In fact, I'm going to do a second seminar kind of jumping off the back of that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny because it's um, a lot of people tend to think that race is something that is like repressed in society, like nobody pays attention to it and it doesn't have a movement. But it seems to me like it does have a movement Uh, when you think about like how impoverished um, uh, movements of the working class are like they're pretty much like non-existent. Yeah. There's a big there's a big contrast there between that and like you know race consciousness or whatever. Yes, yeah, and it, it's interesting to me. I haven't didn't look at this in too much depth, but even the current protests have two kind of um, kind of primary movers in them. One is uh, BLM, and one of them is Antifa, and uh, they oh, yeah. <laughs> they have two quite different kind of like. Um, uh, aims and objectives as far as I can see you know, Antifa is anarchist and BLM is more mm. about changing something within the existing system so more about one's more about representation the other is more about uh, redistribution and um, do you think Antifa is about redistribution I think it's a destruction um, yeah I mean it, it definitely is more like anarchist than you know there's no I don't think there's no Marxist um uh, movement of any significance at the moment. So you've either got the anarchist one, which, as you say, potentially is more about a kind of a uh, a destructive jouissance, uh, and then BLM, which is more about a kind of um, trying to kind of uh, take some of the excesses or violence out of the current system. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, I think I think I think it's the the mix between those two where the interesting thing will be is there's going to be a growing tension between those two dimensions of the protest. And that's mm-hmm. where uh, a, a movement might grow out of that creative tension. It's I don't know if you guys obviously... have like, oh, go ahead. Yeah. You get after you, after you. <laughs> no, I mean, I was just gonna say, when I was on Facebook, I already deleted it, but um, I joined a bunch of groups that I was interested in. Um, and I joined some, some, of, some groups that were like communist mm-hmm. and I, it was always interesting to me how just people sort of like misunderstood the groups that they were in or what they were about. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like a lot of the communist groups were more just like uh, Antifa and some of the Antifa groups were more just like Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really what was missing sort of like in these communist groups was a class 
perspective mm-hmm. it, it was totally lacking there yeah Absolutely. yeah so i think that yeah people that are like i don't know if they just like need to read theory that's why i like this this whole thing is just like don't act just just think yeah <laughs> and, uh, yeah it definitely mm-hmm. feels like a time for that yeah i mean it is a, in, in philosophy like a, a, that basic notion that if you get your premises wrong you're going to end up in a very wrong conclusion and you know so in a, in a way it's important for us to theorize what does transformation look like and what is what is what are we moving towards and if we don't take our time to do that we end up somewhere terrible I know. I think this is this is also the case with it, really not philosophy. Anything like the 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 realm I know, you know, writing or plotting story. If you if you go off the wrong uh, premise or you don't get your 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 building blocks or even your your basic structure right, you'll end up a few months later down the road being like, what what what's happened here? And I think <laughs> yeah. you know, building a building, anything, it has to be it has to be have the right um, di- be directed in the right way. Um, but yeah, we you can already see the anti the antagonism with the Chaz Chop. What's those acronyms? It's, it's the Central Hill Autonomous Zone. And what's the Ca- other one? Capital Hill Autonomous Zone, and then Capital, Capital Hill, Hill yeah. Organized Protest. And yeah, you're you're right. That's the that's kind of like the antagonism beginning to show. Because yeah. autonomous zone but, is an anarchist term from Hackham Bay, as you know, and the uh, and the other one is a BLM notion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but the the thing is, as you say, you know, there's nothing class. I mean, um, the, the the so-called left or the the political left, as in terms of like the well, I, who even knows? I mean, these words are so like almost meaningless right now. I mean, what does what does left even mean? But as in, you know, represent represented within the political system, is there a left? And certainly, the, the quote unquote left parties have definitely abandoned the you know any any notion of like class. As, yes. as part of their perspective yeah or class yeah. is just a um is one of uh is equal on the field of everything else um which i think is a misunderstanding i was, I was gonna ask you mm-hmm. um i'm curious to know what you think do you think that uh like a class consciousness project or class emancipation um would include contradiction in it or is it something that maybe marx got wrong and it, it tries to eliminate contradiction. Yeah, I mean, I, that's something um, I think we maybe touched on in the last one. But yeah, I this is where Todd McGowan's work was very influential to me because he kind of pointed out um, what he calls the right-wing deviation of the left. I think this is very good. And uh, he helped yeah. me really kind of see this because this is why Shizek brings Hegel back to Marx because he thinks that mm-hmm. Hegel's required in order to avoid the notion of uh, a society without antagonism a society of pure utopia which is kind of what communism is in marxism is yeah. it's it's the yeah. final stage in which antagonism is done away with through a classless moneyless stateless system um and so yeah that that i think is a really good kind of critical analysis of marxism it's not that it's not that marx's critique of capital is wrong it's that it's that we we have within this notion of communism um a type of non-antagonistic uh society which i think is a fiction yeah total Mm -hmm. illusion yeah Yeah, and i think you know this is why um i mean every for me what is what is left is is 
are facing up to the contradiction and anything that papers over it is a capitalistic gesture, whether it involves money as its first cause or not. But this is why I think, you know, we have to apply Hegel to intersectionality. I think Adrian and I were going to do an episode on this in, in particular. But the notion of sort of um, doubling down, so the um, you have a you have a sort of cultural movement in terms of, let's say, race or, or a gender question, and it goes from, you know, we must do a certain thing to it's just sort of different and different and different and different layers to it or in intersectionality that for me the gesture of intersectionality speaks to the failure of taking into consideration contradiction in the first place so because you haven't got the contradiction as the lead mode within the movement you then mm. find that it sort of does fail and then you have to sort of tot up all these other things like intersection by definition is like well this doesn't work this so we have to add this oh now this this and this doesn't work so now we have to add another you know it's the, it, again it's the, the plus of lgbtq being the contradiction but each individual thing or saying da, 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 yeah doesn't yeah, work or the, the, the move towards intersectionality speaks to the failure of well and uh, and not having taken on board the contradiction as the primary cause yeah i think um mm-hmm. you could you could make an analogy between intersectionality uh the difference between intersectionality and and uh marxist critique uh to be the difference between jung and freud uh because i think that intersectionality is partly about living within the tensions of different uh kind of oppressions that people have and um and then trying to find a type of a type of harmony or balance whereas uh for freud there is an inherent imbalance that cannot be uh kind of got rid of and the idea in freudianism is you directly look at and bring to the surface the central antagonism and so yeah i think that that uh, he almost feels more jungian um than than freudian and jungian i mean it, it is the sort of more <laughs> it's the more uh well the the swiss german american you know more sort of north european mode <laughs> let's just say i don't know which tends to be more capitalistic but the um what i was going to say about you know often if you offer a critique to some about someone like jordan peterson you're like well he's not taking into consideration you know contradiction as such you might say well no he really does because he's the yin and the yang the masculine and the feminine but that what it's trying to do is sort of like ride the contradiction in order to transform the contradiction into harmony rather than accept that living into the contradiction lessens the stakes of the contradiction. Yes, well, it turns contradiction to opposition that can be balanced yeah. oppositions. Yeah, it's with different. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we um, should we talk about the movie? Uh, yeah, <laughs> the reason why we're here, absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was your fault, Adrian. You threw us into a, an yeah, interesting sorry. conversation about <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> So yeah, who, who, um, who wants to introduce yeah. the film? Because I can't even remember who the director is. So is, uh, Helen, do you want to give a summary of the the, the play well, and the? Excuse me, me, <laughs> I don't And um, I can't, I can't remember who directed it. But this is a, a Genet play called The Balcony. It's Joseph uh, Joseph Strick. Joseph Strick. Okay, Joseph yeah. Strick is a made it for for screen. It's kind of weird to watch because obviously it's a a very low budget early 60s film with a really weird sound mix and a really weird way of like montaging and stuff um but it's it's really really good uh, one one thing that i was um i don't know this could be a, a jumping off point is that obviously today we have 
within, uh, let's say, the media or the popular media, often um, displays of quote-unquote sexuality with a lot of, say, nudity or sex scenes or, um, you know, attractive people doing sensuous things. But ironically, I think this film is much, 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 much more risque in mm. that the, the scenes it depicts, the sort of, uh, it, it takes place within the world of a brothel, are really quite, um, yeah, there's something much more sexual about not nobody's naked at any stage, but you know there's there's sort of these fetishes being played out. Um, yeah. So anyway. basically, yeah, and to give it to give people a background, it's it's set. Uh, it was written in I think 1957, and it's set in the backdrop of revolution uh, in France, and uh, it's all set within a brothel, this kind of high end brothel. Uh, outside there's revolutionary action uh, people are being killed order is beginning to fall apart uh, the the religious order is falling apart the military is falling apart the judicial system is falling apart and there's a police commissioner who's basically the last authority kind of holding things together uh, and then inside the brothel there are just everyday people who are living out their sexual fantasies and as Helen's saying, there's in one way they're not there's no sex, and yet it's highly sexual. They're uh, they're yeah. they're playing parts, and um, I guess there's there's so much in this. I mean, Lacan talks about it. Uh, I think in seven or five, it brings it out uh, because it's it deals with fantasy, it deals with desire, it deals with the notions of revolution, and uh, so there's there's lots in it, um, and it's very funny as well. And my favorite actors in it, uh, Peter Falk who I love. I was surprised <laughs> when I saw that. I was like, oh, that's really, that's cool. Um, and then that yeah. other guy, uh, Leonard Nimoy. Nim, Nim, Le Leonard Nimoy. Nimoy, yeah. yeah. So that, that was funny as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was interesting. Um, there's a part in the scene where Shelley Winters, it's because uh, she's kind of like the one that is, uh, is directing the, 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 the brothel. And there's a scene where <laughs> there's, there's this really silly sort of like backdrop uh, oh, by the way, I think we should mention that uh, there's a lot of like role playing going on yeah. inside. Like, there's like costumes, and everybody can sort of like fulfill their fantasy in a visual way. But there's like, there's this backdrop of like pictures of kittens, and she's like, now nobody has used this in like weeks or, or months already. Just like take it away. But I, uh, it reminded me of the way that Lacan talks about about fantasy, and that it has sort of like a visual quality, mm -hmm. and that that fantasy is like the scenario that stages desire. Um, but I thought there was a sort of interesting, um, uh, uh like split in 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 the in the movie because it makes you feel as if people are going into the brothel to escape sort of like political unrest and the opening credits are just like you know what the world looks like right now actually just like people fighting punching each other and just like people out in the streets uh protesting and it's crazy right but then you get like sort of like the silence of like what's going on inside the the brothel and there's all these like stages that people can like play into and w with costumes and all this but i thought it was interesting that maybe what in in like symbolically um it's not the fantasy is not exactly the moment where they're just like playing to be a judge or playing to be a pope or whatever or a bishop um it's actually like their their connection or like the the 
the vestiges that they leave outside. Um, even though they're inside the brothel, there's still a part of them that is outside and like still interested in what's going on outside. I love the scene where Peter Falk is like giving a a, a monologue and he's like trying to like uh, 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 encourage people and he's he's like talking about that he's gonna destroy like the enemy, which is like this guy uh, Roger, uh, played by uh, Leonard Nimoy. But when he finishes. When he finishes his monologue, you could see that people are just like super ecstatic and like clapping and like dancing. So it shows like scenes of uh, people outside as if they can listen to what he's saying on the inside, giving his like role playing monologue. Yeah. And you can see like circles of girls like playing around and like celebrating like Midsommar style. Um, and I feel like there's like this. It, like fantasy doesn't always or doesn't only take place in a place like the brothel but it it like it it leaks into like the outside yeah. and the things that you can't control and this this um yeah. i mean this this kind of i think is a great way of understanding the freudian notion of fantasy um because one of the big misunderstandings uh, as you know of of freud is the idea that that the rules we play are the result of, of sublimated sexuality. So I want to become a musician, say, because, um, you know, I want to have sex. I want, I have got all the sexual desire. And so I, I, I sublimate it. I, I imagine being a musician, I'm able to put that sexual desire into music. And also if I become Well, famous, I can tell you, I mean, I'm a, I'm a musician. I've never had sex, so it, it doesn't yes. work. <laughs> yeah. I tried it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just because you're not <laughs> successful. That's why. No, 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 yeah. you, you haven't had sex because you put... Well, you put all your libidinal energy into making music, and so you're actually like a monk. Well, no, so you're n you never stop having sex. I mean, that's the the thing is, um, your music is a prolonged sexual act. But that's the true. um, so the kind of the the standard Freudian notion or is okay. We're sublimating our desire into musician, writer, builder, judge, bishop, whatever. But the the actual thing that Freud is saying is that in order to have sex, we must have a sexual fantasy. So it's not that sex lies behind everything. It's that sex itself is impossible if it doesn't have a fantasy that sexualizes it. So we have to sexualize sex. And so mm -hmm. for me, the, the brilliant thing about Genet in this area is that first of all, there's no sex happening in the brothel, right? This is a brothel. You, you imagine that's going to be the place where there's sex, but sex isn't what's important. What's important is sexuality. And sexuality yeah. comes about through fantasy. So somebody is playing a bishop, another person is playing a judge, and another person is playing a, a general. And so they're, yeah. they're fantasizing these rules that are outside in society. They're imagining being these people. And it's that, it's that fantasy. So for Lacan, jouissance, which is a very, you know, we could talk, we I mean, it would be great to um, dissect that a little bit, but jouissance is ultimately the desire for the other's desire. It's um, ultimately jouissance is this kind of weird pleasure we get from fantasizing about getting the other person's pleasure, the uh, what the other desires, becoming the object of the other's desire. And so what we see in this movie is these people are getting jouissance they're fantasizing being these powerful leaders in society and they're exposing how these 
rules in society have sexual dimension to them whenever the judge says i take no pleasure in sentencing you to death right the perverse person sees the pleasure <laughs> in that or when a general says i take no pleasure in sending my men into you know into a death to to uh, yeah. you know whatever there's a sexual dimension or the bishop who says, oh, you know, I take no pleasure in hearing the, the dirty confessions of my parishioners. Um, that has to be veiled in society. But these guys are exposing the uh, sexual eroticized dimension of these rules. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, if I if, if I'm making sense, oh, go ahead, Helen. Do you want to say? I was going to say also, so it's almost the opposite of the sort of cliched notion that circulates of what Freud means in civilization and its discontents, or Wilhelm yes. Reich or something. Yes, it's mm -hmm. very much. It's it's the idea that we animals mate. Animals don't have sex. Humans have sex. Mm -hmm. In other words, we need fantasy as a as a lattice or as a structure in order to sexualize sex. Because sex without sexualization is traumatic. Um, so we physical have to sexualize sex. Physical intercourse is the end of sex. Yes, yeah, and it's very traumatic. That's what kind of rape is in a way. Rape is yeah. a, is a sex type of fantasy. sex without fantasy. Um, yeah. So it's truly traumatic. Yeah. I know, but, and it's but, interesting, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the most one of the most traumatic things i mean it, you know it's both a, the, the sex with fantasy is the most pleasurable thing sex without fantasy is the most violent and horrific thing yeah and that's that's why but, uh, i i was thinking about oh just really quickly i was going to say that um we talked about this a little bit before but zizek has a new sort of like uh thing in his bag uh a new example that i thought was really funny and he talks about uh a couple that is recording a, a porn flick uh in the studio or whatever and he's having sex with this girl, but then he, I guess he has like erectile dysfunction, so uh, he loses his erection. And uh, he's like, okay, uh, just talks to the crew and to the woman that he's having sex with. Just give me a second. Uh, I just need to, you know, excite myself. So he steps back and then he pulls out his phone and then he starts looking at Pornhub. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's exactly Which it. I thought was really funny. Yeah. Yeah, he's just like like the sex that he was having with this woman wasn't sexualized. Exactly. And I guess for him, it's just like a recited in like Pornhub. And that's like the way that he's connecting to sexuality for whatever his personal reason. is. It's a, it's a brilliant example. I mean, that that's the role of the fluffer in porn is the, <laughs> the fluffer is the person. <laughs> the way you said it with such enthusiasm. Yeah, but that's it's, it just me. What Adrian said just made me realize it. But the role of the fluffer is to erot eroticize the the event, which is not itself eroticized. <laughs> yeah. So the sexual act yeah. in this purity. So that's yeah. exactly what we're seeing kind of, that, that's why it can be traumatic actually for the bishop who actually thinks they're a bishop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, the person who actually inhabits the role of the big other. Because the idea is that jouissance is always a desire of the other. So you can never get it because as soon as you get it, it's your desire. But mm -hmm. if, if you ever inhabit the desire of the other, you weirdly lose jouissance in the very act of supposedly getting it so what the brothel wait wait um, sorry to be an idiot but like, what the fuck is a fluffer isn't that the that robin williams movie with the um that's flubber flubber <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah no a fluffer a fluffer is someone who's on set to kind of to turn on the actors before the sex scene oh okay wow yeah. i had no idea that what a existed. shit name Unless they're like actually car carrying like a feather duster, but like what a shit. 
<laughs> I know. I feel like it's, it's that I, I say, I'm giving away that I know too much. Like an, yes, I, I used to be it. a fluffer. Yeah. I used to, it was one of my many jobs. <laughs> Before my first book was published, when I was a struggling author, I, am I... <laughs> It sounds yeah. like a good gig, who knows? Yeah. Um, um, so yeah. yeah, so the this is the kind of the 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 brothel becomes this fascinating place in which the truth is revealed about how sexuality works, mm-hmm. which is we have to we we fantasize or we place ourselves into these symbolic roles. Now there's something so fascinating in the fact that the one person nobody fantasizes about being about is the police commissioner until the end, as you said, uh, Adrian, until after the speech. But the the yeah. and um, it's quite complicated, I suppose, to work out exactly why does, does nobody want to be the police commissioner no one fantasizes about being him but it's <laughs> yeah. it's because suppose like um this guy uh lorenzo chise am i saying his surname chiesa chiesa sorry chiesa and uh, lorenzo chiesa um talks about how the police chief is a type of direct phallic individual they they are a the, the last show of power in the society size falling apart the police commissioner is holding everything together but he's also impotent. There's something very pathetic about his character. There's nothing transcendent. He's kind of the raw expression of power. And that raw expression of power without any kind of transcendental dimension just makes it very undesirable. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think there's an example Shizek uses very good. He says, like, during Stalinism, you, you weren't allowed to critique Stalin. So there was a veil that stopped you from saying anything bad about Stalin or you would be killed. But there was always a prohibition against saying that there was a prohibition. So if you if you said, like, don't criticize Stalin. Like you, negation of negation. Yeah, exactly. The veil of the veil, the Cantot calls it, where there's the veil where you go, like, the prohibition, you're not allowed to critique Stalin. And then there's the prohibition of the prohibition, which is you're not allowed to say that you're not allowed to critique Stalin. Because if you yeah. if you remove the second veil, then then Stalin's kind of raw power and simultaneously Stalin's impotency is revealed. Um, And that's what's happening with the police commissioner in a way, I think, is that he's kind of like this raw power without any kind of like institutional bells and whistles, like the bishop or the general. It's just this raw power and it's very unattractive and ultimately feels impotent. But do, um, would you say that, um, I mean, thinking about like the way that Zizek theorizes the real and Lacan, um, do, do you, don't you think that maybe the impotence of authority is in the veil itself, like not behind it? Yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. So and it's, it's in the double veil where the real power yeah. is, is. And that's why I think that the police commissioner is not someone people fantasize about because mm-hmm. he's kind of being yeah, yeah. revealed. Doesn't Shelley Winter say that? Like she's like, "Oh, your costume has been like in stock, but nobody's used it like ever." Yes, nobody cares. Nobody wants to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, everybody wants to be the bishop, the general, etc. What do I mean? Do you think this plays into anything um, to do with how the police has become, um, you know, su- such a key? Uh, symbol in contemporary discourse in terms of this notion of like police brutality and how the latest move in sort of the from my perspective the right-wing deviation of the left is to abolish the police 
like is there is there something mm. in it where there's some element of it's lost it's kind of you know by going too far it's lost all sort of um libidinal charge or yeah trans I think it's uh, you a know, great transference ag- yeah. potential maybe well the way that i would see it is like it's it's uh it's a great example of like desire for the real mm-hmm. like people are cynical people are aware that police don't really have the power but desire for the real is just like the the necessity to like i guess go beyond the veil to see that there is nothing there yes what do you think about yeah that? no i think that's that's all fascinating so whenever today we look at the police there's still a power there because obviously a police officer can still beat you up can still arrest you but it's not a it's it the veil of the veil has gone so you both see the police as powerful and yet simultaneously as powerless as simultaneously as something that can be overcome um it doesn't have the, you know that's actually what i guess people in the on you know republicans want to do is they want to somehow re-establish the veil yeah. of the veil um, yeah. but that's kind yeah. of gone and that that allows people to simultaneously feel the raw militaristic power of the police and also feel the fragility of the police absolutely so you yeah. almost by you know we, we now obviously things can be seen things are filmed body cams and everything there's a veil has been eliminated mm-hmm. and so you essentially need the, the double veil but also the sort of like the animalistic um violence is that it takes away that sort of transcendent power yes there's so something about it that, that like it. Yeah, it quote unquote humanizes it but not in terms of actual humanity humanizes it in it's like brute animalisticness um yes. yeah I and mean, obviously like police you know, part of part of the veil is all of these all of these institutions like the military. You know, with sort of shiny shoes and uniforms and parades and white gloves and all this kind of stuff. And then when you actually see the brute force, it it, it takes that veil away. And I think you know, interestingly, when it becomes such a part of sort of the the cultural, I hate using this word because I actually want to reclaim it for the real left. Um, we'll have to invent another word for it. The mm. fact that it becomes, you know, uh, getting rid of it, uh, let's say the capitalistic left to get rid of the police, I think it shows that it has lost its power. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So it's You're not an, some... an act of overcoming, it's an act of eliminating something that's already lost its power. Yeah. To me, as a, to me, a nice um, a nice sort of like division there is is what the left. Well, I wouldn't call it the left, but what stands for the left now and the right. The, I think the left wants to like abolish the police, which I I think it's that what we were talking about, just like the desire for the real. Mm-hmm. And the right wants, which is abolish the police, and and then the right wants to like reform the police, like to put another veil on it so that it's um, you police the police, so you're taking the position of authority. Uh, and you, you sort of like maintain the integrity of power. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I think that there's that division or that distinction is, is important. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, something I was going to say as well about this. Um, but now it's gone. It's gone. You've got to get, you've got to muscle in. You've got to muscle in. got to muscle in. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if we should like pass them. What do they call it? I mean, you guys obviously haven't seen the film. Bring it on, an obvious film from my nineties childhood. But it's like there's this thing called the Bring cheer. It on. Stick. That's like a dancing flick. It's a cheerleading movie, but there's like the cheer, the spirit stick or something. But you have to like pass the pass the spirit stick onto the person who is speaking. 
and when they hold the stick. I mean, I don't actually can't remember what the spirit sticks for. But if the spirit stick touches the ground, then some like great tragedy is going to befall everybody. We have to have some like stick that we pass around. Uh, well, it was, well, something I was going to say, um, which kind of like uh, connects with this, is in the film. There's kind of like there's two ways in which I think you can kind of begin to see the um, the removal of the veil. You can begin to see the real and the truth. Um, and so one way is revolution, right? Revolution is one way of attacking the uh, who's in authority. But of course, often we attack who's in authority just to kind of rejig things, to kind of get a new group of people to the top. So it's not about actually critiquing the big other. It's just about getting different yeah. people to inhabit those rules. And so, for example, in the movie, which for people who haven't seen it, there's, there's three men who are pretending they're they're living out their fantasies. One is a, a general riding his horse, and the horse is this woman. The other is a judge who is condemning um, a prisoner, who is again one of the women in the brothel. And for the third, it's a bishop who is offering forgiveness to um, a penitent, a penitent, penitent who is also one of the women in the brothel. And then there, because those real figures have been killed within society. Um, they have to pretend to be these figures. Um, and as mm -hmm. they're pretending to be these figures, they're enjoying it. And they eventually kind of want to become the figures mm -hmm. that they're pretending to be. So that's a good analogy for how, you know, we just want to, sometimes a revolution is just a way of getting rid of the people at the top and uh, letting a new bunch of people have a, have a crack at the whip. And there's nothing wrong with that, to be honest. I think sometimes, you know, it's good, it's good to kind of, you know, just let, let some other people have a chance. But, no, yeah. go ahead. But it's interesting, this idea of the double veil, yeah. again, where you have people <clears throat> pretending to be characters who pretend to be characters. Yeah. You know, there, there's two degrees of pretense. There's the, the, you know, enacting of the fantasy and wearing the garb or whatever for that reason. And then... Yeah being already that and then pretending to be the next thing but yeah no so do you want to talk a little bit more about this idea i mean what's the lacan quote about um replacing one master with another oh yes to the to the students the the, the, in the french uh student revolution yeah you want a new master you will have one so it's yeah, it's, have one. yeah. um no absolutely and, and the funny thing is like the, the point is that a bishop doesn't exist like a bishop is almost a role of a big other. All of these robes and the symbolic, like a, a, a priest or the pope isn't like us. You know, we don't think that they sit around and watch crap TV on Netflix. Uh, we don't think that they, um, you know, I don't know, have drinks with their friends and tell dirty jokes, right? There's something about, but of course that, that other doesn't exist, but we inhabit these rules. Um, that's imposter syndrome whenever you're, you're a teacher, but you go, am I really a teacher? That's where you're experiencing the difference between yourself and your rule. So different- Like symbolic, symbolic castration. Exactly, yes. So you're kind of inhabiting mm -hmm. these rules and it's the psychotic who makes the mistake of, um, oh no, sorry, it's not the, the psychotic who sees it actually very clearly, I should say. Um, when they look at a judge, they just see a normal person. They're, they don't fall for mm -hmm. it like the neurotic does, who, um, who mm -hmm. really does think a police officer is, a police officer and not just a young guy who's kind of fallen into this job but yeah this um, is the thing as well in terms of in terms of desire that the non-duped uh you know in order for this sort of to you enjoy your desire and your desire is by definition functioning because you do you are duped yeah by yeah. these and structures yeah absolutely and, and this it is interesting that that 
eventually, not to give too much away, but this film is from the 1960s, so I don't feel like I'm doing a spoiler, <laughs> but um, uh, eventually the revolutionary leader um, does want to um, enact a fantasy in which he is the police commissioner. So what you see here is that the leader of the revolutionary group actually is fantasizing about being the, the police commissioner, the new master. Um, and there's a yeah. point where they both meet each other and there's a sense in which these two people are actually intertwined. They kind of both want, you know, they're, they're both in the same system. They're not critiquing the system. They are just fighting about who gets to be at the top of it, um, which is similar yeah. to G.K. Chesterton's uh, view that the criminal is just a conservative. The criminal believes in private property, for example. They just want more of it for themselves, right? There, there's something very conservative about crime. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I like I like this because um, did you see the new Star Wars movies? I, I saw one of them, uh, the first one. I didn't see yeah. the last one. I thought it was very interesting, and I uh, it wouldn't surprise me that this is like a, a real thing, but uh, it really did seem to me like Princess Leia was was meant to like rep like represent Hillary Clinton, <laughs> <laughs> um, even the way like the clothes that she wears and stuff, because like Clinton is always wearing like these uh, stupid fucking like space space suits, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like pantsuits. Um, but uh, yeah, like Hillary Clinton, right after Trump won, she was saying shit like, oh, you know, now I'm part of the resistance or whatever, which is yeah, like yeah. absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Um, but in in those movies, like in the Star Wars ones, like the the the, the rebellious sort of like spirit or the rebellious figure um, is always in in a, in a in a battle against like the powers that be mm -hmm. but in this movie i like that it shows um the, the sort, of, sort of like the rebel as lacking as well yes. and that he also needs a fantasy and that goes beyond you know just like the power the power struggle yes so yeah he, he he's shown as a sort of like a like a barred subject but um it's different than than a lot of like depictions of like the rebellious figures yes. nowadays yeah. that's really good that is really good and i think that's the thing we have a tendency to um and this obviously uh comes back to this idea that's very prevalent of you know quote unquote white guilt that you have um the universal position and then you have these sort of like non-lacking orientalized different different to us people who are special and can teach us something um Mm -hmm. You know, like the yeah, the 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 as you point out, the characters in the resistance potentially of what no, what are they called in the in Star Wars? Are they called the resistance? No, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. the the rebel alliance. The rebel alliance. Yeah. 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 Um. The other, by the way, the other way to kind of expose the structure we're talking about is you know one is revolution kind of exposes it because those in power are kind of killed or seem to be impotent, and the other is comedy. Uh, which is not so much in the movie, but is the is the uh, genre of the movie, where comedy can reveal and often does reveal the disconnect between what is presented in kind of in society uh, as powerful and kind of what undermines that power by kind of revealing its um, its transgressive uh, dimension, right? So. Mm. Um, and this, this is obviously, I think, what, what Janae's film is doing in a way is it's, 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 it's presenting to the audience the, the truth 
of how there is all of this disavowed desire um, beneath these symbolic structures. And these symbolic structures are a type of enactment and the big other yeah. basically doesn't exist. Um, and for me, yeah. the, uh, the big move here, and um, I think it's from Lacan, although it was a quote that I heard, uh, Lorenzo, uh, what's the surname again, Helen? Chiesa. 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 Don't know why I find it so hard to say. Um, I've read one of his books. It's very good, but I, you know, I can't say his name. Lorenzo Chiesa. Um, <laughs> is that the move from, uh, the move from community to, to communion. Mm-hmm. So community uh, can be seen as a group of people who are unified around uh, some big other, some authority figure, whether they're unified around submitting to it or fighting it or wanting to enact it, become it. Um, yeah. So that's kind of community. That's how communities are formed. Uh, communion is where a group of people is uh, centered around the death of the big other. So literally mm-hmm. communion is is uh, the last supper where you remember the death of God. And for mm-hmm. me, this means the brothel is church in Genet's mm-hmm. film, is it? Because the brothel is church because it is the place that reveals, it's com- a place not of community, but of communion. It's a place in which you, the woman in the brothel see through the big other. Like it's completely revealed to them. They know how the big other works. They also undermine the phallic big other. They laugh at it. They strip the men naked at one point. Um, they they benefit and they make money from men coming in and, and enacting their fantasies. But they are a group that are unified around not believing in or being taken in by the the big other. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. Helen's going to hate this, uh, so I'm going to. But I'll say, it's like if, 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 uh, and I, I, I don't like these terms either. But, uh, but if, if, if patriarchy means anything, <laughs> um, I heard uh, Todd McGowan talks about because uh, he's a feminist, but he says that that um, patriarchy is more a, a form of desire which is focused on the big other, on the symbolic other. And feminine mm. desire is based upon the undermining of uh, the phallic power, kind of like an enjoyment of undermining and seeing yeah, through. Yeah, the hysteric discourse. Mm-hmm. Say it again, sorry. The hysteric discourse, yes. Oh, the, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that probably fits, actually. But so there is a sense, which I think it's interesting that the brothel is is obviously there's the, are women and the men are the ones who are using it. So in a way there is something interesting about Lacan's notion of masculine desire and feminine mm-hmm. desire, not as in terms of men and women, but masculine desire being the desire that is focused around being the big other or uh, submitting to the big other. And then in the brothel is a place where there is a constant kind of like undermining and mm-hmm. seeing through the big other. <clears throat> So I really like this idea of the, of the brothel as, as church and sort of this idea of communion. But could we go as far to say that that undermining of the phallus or whatever is like that revolutionary in the sense that I think you said that, um, you know, the disavowed desire underneath the system or whatever, but is it not within the system and that enjoyment comes from the system 
well, and that endure. the the woman that the the undermining goes hand in hand with the obsessional desire yeah well i mean i, I think about like think about your you as you know you have two sisters so it's three sisters and then your dad is the only man in the house and he's a very symbolic authority figure in terms of what he's is done he? with his life is he? You know, <laughs> yes yes very 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 powerful political figure you know um but that you guys you know constantly undermine him <laughs> make jokes about him undermine his uh his his phallic uh jouissance <laughs> and, and take joy in that constant undermining of it is that, well, is that no but uh, yeah but i i is is that is that really a revolutionary move is the no, is the yeah. uh, it's not you know it's I just i think know. it's just well, two forms of desire but sorry yeah it's two forms of desire yeah well i mean just I love the the points that you guys are making because it it uh, to me it points back to to religion and uh, I think that one of the ways that that people sort of like have difficulty uh, accepting sort of theory and um, especially sort of like theory that involves the unconscious and desire and all of these things um, is that you can understand it but it's difficult to translate it into praxis yeah and i don't like the distinction between like theory and praxis in praxis because it i think it's pretty obvious that theorizing is already praxis yeah, exactly. but a lot of people but a lot of people have like this this sort of need for like a ritualistic sort of practice that goes beyond theorizing mm -hmm. and um uh, when it when it comes to religion and maybe here uh peter you'll you'll have more to say about this but you in order to be able to like to to enact this sort of like desire of the real um you first have to commit the mistake of believing believing that there's power mm -hmm. behind the veil or whatever yeah uh, you first have to commit the mistake or the error of believing in god and i wonder if that's the reason why you've sort of like staked your claims like mostly within sort of like a religious uh pra praxis uh setting uh which is you know, you know it it has sort of like the appearance of uh maybe adoration or uh uh what would be the word um yeah like like of 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 reverence mm -hmm. but be but it's reverence towards like a contingency uh at some point because i think that most believers have sort of like a cynical element to to their belief um it, it can very le very easily sort of like make the turn into 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 uh, uh yeah fidelity to contingency rather than the big other yes so like is this what you're saying basically like most of us with the you know exception of you know maybe some psychotic individuals ever most of us all fall into the structure of the big other in various ways and religion actually explicitly orients us to the big other and the point mm -hmm. of christianity is not that what we do is we 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 look to big others we look to uh either be the object of their desire or to usurp them or there's these various ways that we relate to the other's desire actually I, for me there's four by the way there's jealousy where we desire what the the other has so whatever the big other has in terms of car job status we desire it 
Envy. Is that like uh, close to uh, Girard, like like mimetic desire? That's exactly it, yes. Jealousy is mimetic desire. So the Girardian mm. notion that we desire what the other desires, which puts us mm. into conflict. Then envy, which is where you don't desire what the other has, but you desire the relationship the other has to the object. So mm. I might not mm. desire your partner. Like where jealousy would be, I would I want to go out with your partner. Envy is, I don't necessarily want to go out with your partner, but I want the type of relationship you have with your partner. Right? That type of desire is what I want. And then I think you also can sometimes go, I want to be the, the servant of the other's desire, or I want to usurp them and take on their desire. So there's these various ways in which we try to do that. And so yeah. a religious person might, when their religion starts to fall apart, they just find another big other. They make science into a big other, or they make another religion into a big other, or making money into a big other, whatever it is. But in Christianity, the idea is that the big other deconstructs itself. The big other mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. becomes desubstantialized. And that's yeah. what communion is, and that's what the brothel is. And that's, yes, that's why I'm a religious thinker. That's yeah. no, but It's interesting, though, because I think, you know, First Reformed, which is a, a movie Adrian pointed me to, and we, we did a, an episode on. I, I think it's one of the most... I mean, it's interesting, the, the idea of revolution, okay, revolution is circling, you know. You do a revolution, 360. Yes. When people said, say, I did a 360 in my life, they go back to square one, right? And did people not say that? Me, you said that, but I thought they said, I do a 180. Do people say I well, did no, a I did a complete 60. They did a complete 360 and changed their <laughs> mind. I think they do say 360. But the point is, so first reformed, I thought that was a really, really, okay, here, I don't know if there's another word for revolution. <laughs> revolution without the idea of turning around the circle. It's called first reformed, right? Because I guess you have reform and revolution. Yeah. And then we were talking about Black Lives Matter and this idea of reform rather than eradicating, you know, the, the, the current system as such. But... Just, just this idea of you know reform, revolution, those kinds of words, and the the broth, the idea of the church, and I just think you know first reformed is this very it's set in this this guy who's um, the the what do you call it priest of one was it the first church in America or one of them you know this very basic yeah. Protestant nothing there nothing there is in the whole aesthetic mm -hmm. to the whole thing. There's hardly anyone in the congregation. There's just nothing in the church. But then this idea of like. The brothel in this film, what's it called? The House of Illusion or the House of Mirrors oh, yeah. or something. It's all about House reflection <laughs> and, 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 and mirrors mm -hmm. and mirroring the outside world and the inside world. And I just think it's just interesting, this idea of revolution, turning in a circle, mirroring. And what mm -hmm. is yeah. the real, like, revolutionary act? Yes. Like, what well, is, is revolution? Is that... What is? Yeah. Is that one way of reading the balcony is, is in a way, right, outside is just the revolution and it's like... As Durkheim says, crime has social utility, right? Basically, the, the revolutionary wants to t usurp the role of the, the police officer. Like, it just keeps going. But inside the brothel is the, the true autonomous zone. It's the church. Mm -hmm. It's the place just in which, um, like, for example, the matrice uh, who who runs the brothel, mm -hmm. like, she, she isn't scared of the police officer at all. She kind of, like... She, she's not scared of the big other. She sees through it. The, the girls are just living their life. And that's kind of like, uh, we need more places like that. That's what's going to change society is, is having more of those type of, and I'm using the term autonomous zone, but I know that now that's becoming 
a kind of controversial term with the autonomous zones that are popping up. But I think the true ter- the term is is like the church should be a zone in which the revolutions keep going on outside, but ultimately the real ch- the real societal change happens if there's enough brothels. Because here at the end of the movie, they, they both the men are sent out naked into the world, kind of stripped of their symbolic authority and symbolic power and humbled. Mm. And so you kind of almost go like the real change happened in in the brothel and maybe they're leaving the brothel slightly humbled and uh, less thirsty to become the big other. Yeah, That's true. I guess I'm going to say that <clears throat> I think the phallus these days does not take just take the shape of I think signifier and signified has changed now and it doesn't just take the shape of a male penis anymore. Well, no, definitely. I mean, it doesn't at all. I mean, that's the fallacy. Well, yeah. The, uh... Did it ever? No, it never did. No. Never did. Well, well, okay. I, I just think that potentially the film is not as revolutionary as uh-huh. we're giving it credit for. Well, yeah, I mean, it, <clears throat> or you, yeah. you think it like it has to be read that way in order for it to be like, but well, I mean, I, okay, so Genet was like, uh, or Genet, what is it? Genet, Genet, yeah, yeah, Genet. Um, do you think that he? Because there's always this question of like, is is the is the author or the director aware of the things that that he that he's doing? Um, I don't know. It seems to me like maybe he was, particularly like since he's French, and I think that French people they're a little bit closer to that type of reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, he was very yeah. he was very connected with the uh, you know with Lacan and that whole French intellectual world. I guess the thing um, is as well as like yeah, the setting of the time is different. You know, it would take a different hue to what it would look like now. I guess yeah, if you're reading it with it like what the symbols mean, yeah. It could yeah. be different today, but yeah. But like I said, I see, yeah. like for me, the the reason, um, you know, I like what Todd McGowan does in terms of his def- definitions of masculine and feminine uh, desire, et cetera, et cetera. The, the disagreement is one's not better than the other. Like that's the thing. Like so some like uh, when I was listening to Todd on this, you know, it's, it's he's kind of basically going feminine desire is superior to masculine desire because it undermines patriarchy and patriarchy is the phallic uh, kind of submission to the you know attempt to veil the veil and create substance, whereas feminine desire is the embrace of shadow of like of basically the insubstantiality insubstantiality of reality, and all I can go with all of that, but um, I except for the fact that kind of that that one's better than the other like in a sense we're all caught up in masculine and feminine desire and ultimately it's it, that's why i like the brothel is it's there is no freedom there's no like outside of ideology and there's no outside of phallic desire but there is uh, an ability to see its insubstantiality and for me that is the role of the church and that mm-hmm. is the that's mm-hmm. the that's that's what salvation is mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, uh, Shelley Winter's role in this movie? Because um, she's the one that is sort of like in control. Um, maybe she's the one that is like the big other. She's also like impenetrable. <laughs> impenetrable. Mm-hmm. It's funny. But it, like sexually, she's impenetrable. Uh, isn't she like, isn't there like a hint that maybe she's like a lesbian or something? And Yeah, with uh, the assistant. Falc is like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like Falc is trying to like, 
you know like flirt with her and like include her into into his fantasy i, I think he wants her to be like the queen or something yes yes uh, but she's she but like throughout the whole movie she's like she's not she can't be incorporated into like this like the setting of fantasy yes and not until the end that she plays the queen at the end but yeah she's go ahead helen sorry See, I'm just, I'm just caught up with this idea of revolution. I think this is the real floor of the sixties. Personally, yeah. The what? Yeah. What, what was that? I think this is the real floor of the sixties in terms of like the politics of sexual sexuality and the particularization and the orientalism of different forms of desire. Yeah, but but this is mm-hmm. but Genet is definitely critiquing kind of the the idea of revolution here. Like, there's no doubt yeah, no, yeah, no, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and and by the way, like again, it's not about like, I mean, for sexuation is not about masculine or feminine or whatever. It's just about two. It's about how we orient ourselves to the lack. Do we? Yeah. Do we kind of disavow it? Kind of like, kind of, or you know, do we inhabit it? So, yeah, I just uh, you know, for me, like a man tend to want to the, the idea that a man believes that he's a man a woman pretends that she's a woman you know mm-hmm. like but mm-hmm. but they both need each other for that fantasy so mm-hmm. you know for a man to feel manly a woman might say oh could you fix my car or could mm-hmm. you tell you know could you be a big big strong man and open this jar of pickles and the man's mm-hmm. like oh so uh, but then for the woman to feel like a woman the man has to desire her and so if if the man doesn't pretend that she's a woman you know she yeah. can get upset so uh i i'm just i'm just getting the feeling that you yeah i agree, sure no, I agree with you i agree with you that the brothel is the church i agree with you yeah. but is it that not because where i disagree is that, that there's some mystical difference of stripping a man naked and that is going to have some political whatever is it that it's on the surface is it that the, the very the very sexuality is on the surface Whereas it's as you say disavowed in the public realm. Like I, I agree with you that that the that the broth is the church, but I'm not sure. I'm like a hundred percent convinced, a hundred percent convinced, like as to the why. Yes. Yeah. But it it is it is interesting that a brothel is a place where where men tend go to kind of live out fantasies and women play the fantasies you know, for money. And uh, it's, a, it's very funny how at various points, you know, the man comes out of the fantasy and says, no, no, you're doing it wrong. You have to do it like this. And then they go back into the fantasy. So it, there is a sense in which a brothel, I guess, is a privileged space in, to expose the the kind of lattice work of, of fantasy that has to eroticize life. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the way that I see it, it's like uh, uh, you don't go to to church to worship or to give reverence to god uh you go you go to church for sort of like the community but at the same time the community is like something that is a lot less grand mm-hmm. right than the idea of god or whatever and i think the parallel that it has with the brothel there is that there's this sort of like impossibility at the end of like why you think that you go there so you go to you think that you go to church for God, but it's really something else. And you think you go to the brothel to have sex, but at the end, there's no sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the, re- the reason why you go to church for me is, is yeah, not for God, but it's for the death of God. That's the things like, I, that's yeah. what I think. So. But, oh, by the way. Yeah, that's yeah. better put. And in in terms of the brothel, but which is maybe what Helen, you're, you're saying is that like the problem with the brothel in general is 
the brothel maintains the fantasies. I mean, it literally mm-hmm. maintains the fantasies. It's only because of all of the chaos of what's going on outside that the brothel becomes like like the role of a brothel is not to expose you to the impotence of your fantasy. I mean, that brothel mm-hmm. would not last long <laughs> if if you go to a brothel for them to basically expose your own impotence to yourself. Um, so that's the difference between a brothel and a church, I guess. Is the church is there to you go there to have sex with god to you know to become one with the ultimate but then the church basically says no you can't that they that there is no big other for you to become one with mm-hmm. but isn't but isn't it that like i i do kind of think that sometimes uh people would go to a brothel for the impossibility of the sexual relationship um th- i mean that isn't that what inflames sort of well, like that's what the, inflames isn't that what's going to yeah. dominatrix well, that's what that's What's what that? that's what that's what um yeah that's what inflames it. You're right. It's like the fact okay. that you don't get what you want is exactly what brings the person to the brothel and makes them return. So yeah, there has to be a type of lack built in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Failure right. built in, um, and even and that's talked about. Uh, there's one great scene where the guy I think he he wants to keep his fantasy going and he's he's she's going well you're gonna to have to pay more money for it or something and then and I think the Matrice comes in and says to her something like you know just you know make sure you don't give him everything he wants you know you, we want him to come back and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so, so it's kind of like that the, the lack has to be has to be there but yeah but uh, yeah. you know a, a sadomasochistic sex is an extreme form of that where the prohibition is you it know is there's the sex. no sex at the end of the prohibition is the sex yeah 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 and that seems to me like that's it's almost like identical to church because like you go to church to remember that god is dead yeah i guess well to, to, uh, and, to, but, to, to kind of enact it and then remember it i think the yeah. first step is to enact it and then the second step yeah is to be faithful to it yeah and also just like the relationship that comes out of that with people because i mean the way that that christ said it, it was like uh whenever two or more of you are like uh, yeah. gather together in my name or in love then like that's that's when i exist but mm-hmm. um yeah it seems like it's just like an acting uh contingency yeah. okay, oh, that's very here's... good adrian by the way is that yeah that there's the third row so one is you go to the church you enact the death of god you remain faithful to it and then find god in the community so that's i see mm-hmm. what you're saying about mm-hmm. the, the the community becomes yeah. the enactment of the substance of the insubstantial god yeah right. So yeah. could the could the brothel be the place of genuine revolution in the sense that it's the think don't act? As in the the revolutionary act is in the thinking, as in is in the exposing. The exposing, yeah, I was gonna use that. Of the word, impotence. Exposing. Yeah. Rather than like by acting almost that is the right wing deviation. Yeah. And it's, that it's the thinking is the exposing. Exposure. Yeah, it's yeah. a playful exposure. So what the what the brothel does is there's no revolutionary acting in the brothel. They're all just sitting doing their thing, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they are able to expose the truth. Um, and that is the kind of that seems to be the more that seems to be the only act in the film that is truly revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. agree with that hundred percent. Sorry for my reticence. It's it is tricky though because it's like a lot of these things like. Um, have been have been altered in, ter- in terms of like contemporary discourse and one thing that annoys me immensely in contemporary discourse is this idea that there are special groups with special particularities with special cleaner forms of desire or 
sort of desires that can't be capitalized upon or something, which I totally disagree with. But yeah, where the hysteric has something that potentially the obsessive doesn't is this idea of exposing the impotence. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. But 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 the hysteric in and of herself or himself, I don't think is a revolutionary particularity. No, it's it's the analyst discourse, which is the yes, the, the, the weaponize yeah. the, the yeah. weaponization of the hysteric, the, the mobilization yeah. of the. So that that's what Genet is here. I think is yeah. he's the analyst yeah. who's exposing the the truth. Uh, you know. The castration, yeah, yeah, or the lack. Yeah, of and I think the thing is that the way that sexuality can be acted upon and weaponized for capital is the pride flag being plonked on everything. And this is where I think the you know on all corporate kind of slogans and images and stuff. And this is where I think the sixties failed, and that it was there was a you know a particularization rather than yeah it was it was the particular particularities of say over overthrowing whatever the hell the patriarchy is rather than just the notion of exposing as it being yeah. the more revolutionary act, potentially. Yeah. 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 Pretty good. Nice one. I think we got somewhere. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love these types of conversations because I feel that we're feeling our way places and that's very fun to do. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, maybe we should, uh, should we cut it there? Sounds Great. Good. Let's do that. All thanks, right, guys. Okay. Appreciate well, thanks, being a guest a lot, again. Peter. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks, Pete. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you.